RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Hi, welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, where you can learn from our mistakes. With me today is Mike. Hey, Dusty. Hey, Mike. And we're talking about our first ever, ever session zero for any mm. campaign that we've ever run. Yeah. Um, hats off to uh, Amelia and Ryan from the character creation cast for helping us see the importance of actually rolling characters together as a group versus, you know, what we've done in the past, which is individually roll them or just simply use pregens. Yep, so, absolutely. And we recently appeared on a Character Evolution episode of their show, so please do check out Character Creation Cast. If you want to hear more of us, listen to our episode. If you want to hear more about creating characters and listen to an entire podcast about creating characters, which is a really fun idea for a podcast, and like nothing I've ever seen, like no, no other podcast fills that niche, go listen to their podcast. It's good stuff. And uh, before we get too far in the episode, I just wanted to throw out there again that I still have uh, bird roommates in my office, so I apologize in advance for any excessive bird noise. Um, hopefully soon we'll have them back into an arrangement where they're not right behind me. Think of Mike the way that I do, which is recording this from a Central American rainforested country coming to us live from deep, deep in the rainforest. Or as being the spiritual successor, successor to Coco Beware. Ooh, good call. All right, so we are about to start this campaign that we'd like to be an actual play. We are playing it in, reveal, 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 Castles and Crusades. My favorite. Ooh. Yes, my favorite D20 system. I've been playing the system since 2015 in Martin's game. Um, this is your first time playing it. So, Castles and Crusades, I'm calling this campaign Drakenland, after the country, that I, the setting that I'm putting together to run this campaign in. So, we streamed Session Zero of that. Uh, we recorded Session Zero, and, and Mikey Twitch streamed it. And I think it, it may have been the worst Twitch stream ever. We streamed ourselves talking about mechanics, classes, races, and, and staring at our books for long periods of silence while we put these characters together. Look, was there a more fun way to do this? No. Just straight up, <laughs> no. I don't think there was, right? So I think the only way to make this, like, genuinely fun and genuinely engaging is 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 if you you like i guess walk everybody through the exact same step at the exact same point and like i don't know maybe like like give them some sort of favor or benefit or something for being like maybe extra creative right so so if in session zero you you dole out like favor tokens or something or like um um, inspiration tokens, maybe for like the future campaign. If if you're really, I don't know, good or imaginative at creating a character. Otherwise, it's it's really just working a worksheet, right? That's yeah. Was there a faster way to do it? I'm also gonna say no. I I, I think we did it the most optimal way possible. Now, the one thing I maybe would say for future session zeros 
and and we kind of decided to do this last minute, right? So we we all didn't even come with our books because we we didn't know if we were going to do this or another session of the dungeon crawl. But uh, maybe in future session zeros, ask that all players be familiar with the player's guide and the book, right? So kind of come in mind with a class and a race and what you want to do. Um, that maybe could have saved us a little time, but I think, uh, for approaching this just blindly and just like, Hey, let's, let's do this. I think it went as fast as it could. That's fair. And one thing I'm, I'm always conscious of Mike is the fact that I can assign homework all that I want. It probably won't get done. And that's fair. It's fair to not have to have homework for your hobby. So I try to make things easy. So I was trying really hard to have us do all the things with each other as our weekly session of play so that we could get through everything we needed to and feel prepped for next game without having to take away any tasks. Is that fair? Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. We are notoriously bad for not doing homework when it's asked of us as well. So it maybe wouldn't have made a difference. So we're still struggling with how to make Session Zero an interesting Twitch stream. Uh, but we won't have to deal with that problem for several more months if we if we start another campaign. Uh, creating characters was fun. After our realization on the character creation cast that we basically rely on pre-made characters, or if we did roll characters, we only rolled characters where a strong digital tool set existed to help rolling characters, and we rolled characters in a vacuum. We rolled characters away from the table, and everyone brought their characters to the table. So we hadn't actually sat down together as a group to roll, and we'd certainly never rolled characters as manually as this, where we went through a book and read about stuff to help make our decisions. Mike, was getting together as a group to make characters helpful? I think so. I, I think of at the very least, it... It did the thing where you didn't have to have a back-and-forth email over who's going to be what class so that you didn't duplicate classes. And and we could put a little thought into, you know, do our classes make sense with one another, right? Are we are we going to have four barbarians? Or are we going to have a, a barbarian, a fighter, a knight, and a bard? You know, some avoiding stuff like that. Um, I, I think it also helped a little bit creating them together is that it, it helped us get a little more into the mindset of what we potentially want our characters to, to be and do and feel once we get into the game so that we can kind of start thinking of, you know, how do we mesh together? Um, are there conflicts in the group? Could there be conflicts in the group? Are there, are there any dynamics that we need to be careful of and that maybe that we specifically want to avoid? Um, I think we actually got into that conversation when we started talking about alignment, and I think that probably helped set the campaign off on the on the right direction. That's fair. Yeah, alignment. We talked. We've talked previously on the show, and we talked explicitly at the table about the alignment concerns we had with your lawful good cleric Kyra versus Merciel, literally standing up a thieves guild. So, and and the cognitive dissonance that caused for you as a player where you're having to willfully ignore, you know, a good third of the stuff that happens at our table. So that it just set your character up to not, you couldn't take your character's clericness seriously in the face of what Mercial was doing with the Thieves Guild. Fair? Yep. And we wanted to avoid that. Um, I'm calling an audible mic and I'm adding a question to our show notes sort of on the fly. Did the characters that we came up with 
let me phrase this correctly, were they more interesting than if I would have pre-generated characters and handed them out, or if uh, we would have created characters individually? I'm going to say yes, um, especially for my character, right? So just to kind of go ahead and put it out there for, for the upcoming campaign, I am playing a barbarian halfling. I know that wouldn't have happened in a pre-made, right? Because people are just going to be like, what? You can't... Is it even legal to do a barbarian halfling? Which yeah, this is, this is and Crusades it is. This isn't optimized. What are you doing to me, GM? Yeah, this is crazy. What? Why would you do this? This is ridiculous. Um, so so my character's a little bit ridiculous, which which wouldn't have happened with a pre-made. Or even, you know, if if... If I had tried to just set an hour by myself to come up with a character, I I probably would have gotten to my old habits of min-maxing, and, and that absolutely wouldn't have happened. Um, I think what was also interesting is that, uh, that, that, that Nathan wound up rolling a bard, right? Which, which I don't think that would have happened if we had all sat down separately and done our own characters. I think from some of the conversations at the table, he decided I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do something I'm not used to doing and I'm going to roll a bard. So, uh, I, I think we have a really interesting party. My only fear is that it doesn't come back to bite us in the ass. Well, and I don't think it will. So Nathan rolled that bard after really questioning me about the sorts of things that you guys were going to get up to in this campaign. He's true. Yep. Yeah. He really wanted to know, okay, what are we trying to do? What's our goal? So I gave you guys the campaign pitch and I gave you a little more detail on, you know, what your goals are coming into the campaign. That's not to say they won't change once the campaign starts, but at least, you know, you can create a character that's well suited to the type of game I'm going to run. You know, if we were going to run, you know, a dungeon crawl underground with tons of undead, yeah, your party would be pretty screwed. But that's not what we're going to do. We're running sort of a... You're in this strange country trying to stir up the populace to find your leader to be popular, which is sort of an, an amorphous goal, and I explained why the goal is amorphous, but you now know what you're trying to do. So a bard completely makes sense for that goal. Imagine trying to accomplish that goal with a party of nothing but fighters and rangers. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I uh, I think it also really helped getting it together in that we could we could ask a lot of questions of what you know what's the theme for this campaign? What's this campaign gonna look like? What are what are we gonna kind of run into on this? And that's something you really can't do when you're on your own. You know, I think in in fifth edition when we did our last big foray into creating characters and probably our only close foray, I think you'd kind of give us an oversight of what that was, but it, it certainly wasn't as detailed and there wasn't that opportunity to, you know, probe the, the castle keeper as he would be. Yeah, it's fair. The closest we'd ever come to rolling characters as a group was me writing an email that had the rules of character creation. Hey, you can use point by or a standard array for, for your attributes. You are, you're going to roll a level four character. You're allowed to have two magical items of no more than plus one, um, this it, just all these different rules, and then I might include a note or two about hey, make sure that whatever your backstory is, it's compatible with this. And that was it. I sent that email, and then boom, you were left to your own devices to roll a character. So I think people feel obligated when they're away from the table to come up with things that are optimized. 
not necessarily a halfling barbarian. You want to come to the table with something that is super optimized so that you're not letting the group down as far as achieving your quote-unquote role at the table. But if you're rolling together with all the players in the same room, it gives you more permission to be a little gonzo, and it gives everyone permission to be a little gonzo, and not everyone's worried about letting the group down. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. All right, great. Do you think the campaign will be more fun? I think so. Uh, I I think we'll at least, you know, come into it with a clear understanding of of what we want to do and what the campaign should be than we have in the past, which will will hopefully, you know, make it make it a little more fun. I think we have fun pretty much whatever we do. So, I don't know. I I, I hard I have a hard time saying if it'll be more or less fun. Um just because I think it'll be a good time no matter what. Are you looking forward to running Oblic more than you would be just any generic pregen? Absolutely. <laughs> can Absolutely. We, as a bit of a teaser, do you mind telling the story about how Oblic got his name? Yeah, I don't mind that. So, uh, so you know, I was, I was creating my character, and I decided from the beginning I wanted to do a barbarian because I want to do kind of an extension of the, the barbarian, you know, dumb, strong barbarian with a heart of gold that we ran in the the brief World of Dungeons campaign we did. So I started out with that thought. And then when we were looking into classes, I thought, well, how awesome would it be if my barbarian were... Were, were diminutive and originally i was thinking of making him a dwarf right so so kind of doing like the the godric and felix you know thing that everybody knows where you've got the berserker dwarf for the uh um what is he called a slayer the slayer the slayer dwarf right who who has the 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 noble desire for for a noble death you know that's that's his only desire kind of doing that but i didn't want to do it as a dwarf so i decided to do it as a halfling and kind of when I was in the middle of making this character, I wanted to just put something in the name field. So kind of offhandedly, I said, all right, guys, I'm writing down in my character name, Kilbo Baggins, but he probably won't wind up being Kilbo Baggins just because, you know, he's a little bored. We're trying to get through it. And then uh, Oblick is just Kilbo backwards. That's all. So as a, as a bit of an aside... It blew my mind at the table when you mentioned Gotrick and Felix. I had no idea that you'd read those novels. I have on my shelf, not four feet from me, um, three Gotrick and Felix omnibuses. So a total of nine Gotrick and Felix novels, plus a few standalone novels. I love Gotrick and Felix. I don't think you and I have ever discussed them, and I had no idea that you'd ever read them. So full transparency, I haven't read them in full i've only dabbled a little bit in them you know kind of with the uh the little bit of warhammer i got into with uh, warhammer online and some of that back lore because they i don't recall if they directly get into gotrick and felix but they definitely have a lot of people who reference gotrick and felix and when you kind of start reading the the wikipedias and the backgrounds there it's hard not to dabble a little bit in gotrick and felix so i i don't have firsthand knowledge of the novels themselves, but I kind of understand the the characters and the themes in that area. Damn, I love those books. Those are great. And I should say, the Gotricks and Felix books by William King. 
before the series was taken over by various authors. That's the real meat and potatoes of Godric and Felix. And if you don't read any other Godric and Felix, the very first book reads like a series of interconnected short story episodes. So just that first book is all you need to get a real flavor of Warhammer and Godric and Felix. And what a fun story. And now we'll move on. Mike, we rolled our attributes. We did the thing where we rolled 46, dropped the lowest. Any regrets? Did you want to do point by? Would you have been more comfortable with an array where everyone has the same stats across the board? So so I actually wanted to do the roll because I had gotten such a character-optimized result with rolling in our world of dungeons. I wanted to do that again. And I absolutely have no regrets because four out of my six character stats are higher than 15. I got some really good rolls. And you, and for anyone listening who's like, yeah, right, Mike was sitting directly to my left. I watched his dice hit the table. So, and it, But conversely to you, we had Chris to my right who had a hard time getting out of the single digits. Yeah, I think he eventually got one or two good rolls so that his, you know, his primary attributes could could be a little stronger, but uh yeah, we we may have some uh some real shortcomings. I uh I think it was necessary to write for for the character I wanted to play that I had to dump those, you know, lower stats into intelligence and wisdom. So the party may have a real hard time keeping me on a leash. Because I am a rage-prone, strength, dex, con, and charisma are my highest four. So if I'm not raging on somebody, I'm going to try and be charming them. Awesome. Yeah. So it remains to be seen how this will play out in the long term. Let's talk about Castles and Crusades. I've talked about it on the show before. I frequently call it an alternate universe 5th edition. It is my favorite D20 system after years of playing it in Martin's game. Mike, do you have any thoughts on the system now that you've at least rolled a character in it? Um, it feels pretty straightforward, right? So so it felt familiar coming from 4th edition, 5th edition. There's a lot of stuff in there that I immediately recognize. I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. This is how this is going to work, etc., etc. Um, I was a little audited out that you couldn't, you know, easily multi-class. I know there's probably ways to do it but that it wasn't as apparent as you could choose a class and then you kind of had three subclasses within that class to choose skills from to give it some flavor, um, which I kind of liked, right? It it definitely cut down on the reading time when creating characters because I didn't have to then figure out which subsystem of the class I wanted to start specking out in when I leveled up. I could easily see, okay, I'm a barbarian, I'll get this at fourth level, this at sixth level, this at, you know, whatever. These skills make sense for a pure barbarian. Um, So I kind of like that. Yeah, the hard part, and and I explained this to you guys before you started rolling, it it sucks that, you know, you can't be fighter and then specialize. But they solve that entirely by having fighter be an entirely separate class from knight. So right there, if you want to be defensive with with lots and lots of armor and super heavy shield and, and, you know, if you want your thing to be that you never, ever get hit, well, the the knight class is for you. So there are 13 different classes to choose from, um, and that's just in the core player's handbook. And there are other books with other classes. There's a book called Expanding Classes where you can do all the multi-classing stuff. I think there's more than enough editions 
editions. I think there are more than enough options in Castles and Crusades, as long as you understand walking in that once you've chosen fighter or knight or, or you know, rogue and assassin are two different classes. Um, once you've chosen that class, that's it. You're now progressing on that scale. So find the exact right class. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So primary and secondary attributes. I spent a lot of time talking to you guys about that. Did that conversation land? Do, do you get what I was talking about? Um, Kind of, yeah. I mean, I understand the difference between primary and secondary. I'm still not sure I fully, fully understand how they work mechanically, right? Just that I understand that when it's a primary, it makes your targets lower. And when it's secondary, it doesn't. But... I'm still having trouble visualizing how that actually works in in like combat or in skill checks. It doesn't work in combat. It only okay. works in skill checks. Skill checks. Okay. So so in skill checks, for example, uh, breaking down a door is the example that I love to use. For a fighter, it's mandatory that one of your primary attributes, one of your two, is strength, and the other one's up to you. But if strength is your primary attribute, the base DC for any role, for a primary attribute, the, the base difficulty class, to explain DC, is 12. The base difficulty for any secondary attribute is 18. So it's the mathematical equivalent, Mike, of getting a plus 6 on every strength check. I think listening to that now, it makes a little more sense. I think I was kind of getting hung up on combat and how it gave me an advantage in combat. And that's where I was failing to understand. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, not related to combat at all. It's just related to um, making DCs lower by six. The mathematical equivalent of a six bonus to every check. So when you go to break down, that, break down the door, the fighter has his or her strength bonus. So let's say it's a plus three because you have an 18. But then you also, it's a primary attribute. So your base DC is six points lower. So if a fighter's trying to break down a door and a wizard's trying to break down a door, you know, in D&D 5th edition, that is dealt with by just the bonus. So the fighter has a plus three to strength. Maybe the wizard has a minus one. That's only a delta of four. So that's a delta of, let's see, four out of, off of a D20 of 20%. The fighter is only 20% more likely to break the door down. Whereas that, that gulf is expanded by six in uh, Castles of Crusades. So the fighter is more than double likely to break the door down over a wizard which to me makes more sense. It's just a really neat way to differentiate. That's breaking down a door. Do the same thing for an assassin or a rogue on stealth checks or dexterity checks. The, 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 the wizard, or sorry, the assassin or the rogue is so much more likely to hit that than a wizard. So it really helps make those class-specific attributes like strength and dexterity and all that, where you really expect your fighter to be the strong man. You really expect your you know, rogue or assassin to be the really nimble one. It makes those differences stand out on attribute checks. That also makes more sense now of why the, uh, the human gets that third primary attribute and then not much else as their, their human racial bonus. Yeah. It's a huge. Yeah. Huge that's a bonus. huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. It just shows the versatility of humans that you get a third primary attribute. 
All right. So primary secondary attributes, you and I in particular, Mike, had a lot of conversation about encumbrance as you purchased your starting equipment. How'd you feel about encumbrance? You know, it, I'm familiar with encumbrance only through playing, you know, Elder Scrolls games. So that's really one of the few RPG systems, even in video games, that have dealt with encumbrance. I don't think we've ever... Let me correct this. I'm sure we've played systems that have had encumbrance rules in them, but we have never paid attention to encumbrance rules in, in our RPG campaigns before. So having this kind of be our first tabletop experience with encumbrance and how that system works is definitely a little foreign, definitely interesting. Yeah, I think it'll add to it. You guys are strangers in a strange land. So I'm playing up that trope. And as part of that trope, what you carry around with you is kind of important. So I'm looking forward to running a game where what you carry and how much you carry actually matters. So let's use the encumbrance conversation to lead into a a short conversation on Eric Campion's spreadsheet that he created for building castles and crusades characters. Holy crap, that thing was an absolute lifesaver, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I uh, I don't think I would have been successful in creating this character if I had to do it on paper, at least not to the degree where I would have not had to bug you with a million questions. So have you looked at the, at the universal character sheet? Yes. So how would you have had to roll a character without Eric Campion's spreadsheet? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of scratch paper is all I can say. Yeah, like that, the, I mean, oh, go ahead. On the universal sheet, uh, just managing encumbrance alone. Encumbrance changes with whether or not you're wearing an item. Encumbrance also changes with whether or not an item is in a container, in a backpack. And the universal character sheet just has a bunch of lines for for inventory, for items. So having to manage what's in a container, how much a container can hold... Um, Eric Campion's spreadsheet has sections on the character sheet for containers where you can define this container's a backpack, and then his spreadsheet knows how much encumbrance a backpack can hold, and then it takes that encumbrance of all the items in it and makes sure you don't overflow it, and it divides that in half since you're wearing the backpack. It manages all this encumbrance for you. So I'm looking forward to encumbrance being part of the game. I'll be honest, Mike. I would not push encumbrance as part of the game if we didn't have Eric's spreadsheet to help us manage it. Yeah, I can see that because I'm fuzzy on how the math behind encumbrance even still works. The only reason I was successful at it was because of the spreadsheet. Even with the spreadsheet, I didn't realize until you told me that my character at this time is slightly encumbered. And comparing what my character has on them now, as in prior campaigns, I mean, I already feel like I'm kind of rolling light, right? Because we haven't had to worry about food or water since we'll be part of an army garrison. But, I mean, all I'm rocking is flint and steel, a bedroll, a crowbar. I may need to give that up. Fishing gear, because I have a weird thing in RPGs where I want to fish. Um a canteen, and then like a sack with five torches, which normally in an RPG, you don't think anything of torches. You, you know, you get in that video game space of, oh, I've got this whole bag in a video game. I can carry like 50 torches. 
but kind of in the conversation we had before recording, you know, torches are big, bulky things. You know, you can't just stick one down the front of your pants and it's going to be out of the way. Kind of thinking of the reality of what my character is actually going to carry. Yeah, I've got a lot of crap on me and uh, it makes sense that I probably need to, to get a little help carrying some of this. Yeah, asking a halfling to carry five two-foot torches, it makes it sense that that trips you over the encumbrance, and it makes sense um, in a way that helps our games have a verisimilitude that they don't have today. And you guys may, once, like you're on a ship right now headed toward Drakenland, once you arrive in Drakenland, there's any number of ways you can solve this issue. You can hire porters. You can buy a donkey with saddlebags. There's all sorts of things you can do to help you overcome this. Um, but I love the realism that it imparts because now you suddenly have porters that you've got to pay and talk to and have a relationship with. You've got donkeys that you've got to take care of. You know, however you solve this problem, you, you raise new concerns that you've got to worry about. And I don't want to drive that into the ground. I want to touch on it briefly and then consider it dealt with, but I do want to have just enough of that detail to let you guys have a lot of verisimilitude about this world of Drakenland. So let's let's conclude this episode, Mike. So walking out of this session, walking out of session zero, we had three characters. Um, Brian couldn't make it, and Brian, we didn't even talk about this, is go, has a lot going on in his life right now, and he might have a hard time making these Drakenland play sessions. So Brian might be in and out of the campaign. That's fine. He has so much going on in life that we're going to be absolutely fine with that. But we also, as a group, came up with a plan for dealing with his attendance. Um, And walking out, you guys had an overview of the campaign. But it took three hours. I think we had an okay time. I don't think... You know, here's something that I didn't put in the show notes, Mike, that we said as we walked out. This session, this session zero, was fine for guys that are several years into their RPG hobby. By no means, no way, no how, would I ever suggest running a player through his or her first game with a session zero. Absolutely. So so when we kind of mentioned that while together, I thought back to that first time you, myself, and Brian played D&D at your old apartment in Statesville. If you had invited us over, even with, you know, the delicious snacks and beverages you had prepared, and we had sat in your apartment and did this for three hours, I would have told you off, right? I would have been like, thanks for the hospitality, but I am never, ever, ever doing this again. Holy God in heaven, this is boring. And that would have been the end of D&D. Yeah. Hey, guys, come over and fill out the spreadsheet for three hours. Um, not enticing at all for new players, in my opinion. And hey, there's always there's always people to prove me wrong. There's no absolutes in the RPG hobby. Um, but for me, Mike, if my first session would have been playing in Martin's game, if he would have led me off with, all right, let's spend three hours rolling your character, there's no way in hell. You know, Martin gave me some guidelines, I rolled solo, and I showed up. In the past, we've used pregens. That was great to get us to where we are now. Now, we're more interested in running more coherent campaigns. We're interested in running an actual play where all of our goals are aligned and we know what we need to be effective at walking into the story. So a session zero is appropriate for us at this moment in our game. 
The session zero was a success when measured against the yardstick of what we were trying to accomplish. I would not say a session zero is a cure-all, end-all, be-all, and I would not say it's the one and only way to start a campaign. I, I, I think the, the most important thing about a session zero is going into it knowing that you're making an investment up front into this campaign to try and make that campaign as most successful as possible. And if you don't understand how an RPG campaign can be successful, then you'll see no value in that session zero. It's situational. Like so many things in the RPG hobby, it's situational. It's entirely situational. Don't listen to this episode and think, oh my god, I need to start doing session zeros. We are years, years into playing, and eight years into playing at the very least, and this is our first ever session zero. We enjoyed it. Uh, remains to be seen the overall impact it has on the campaign. I'm really looking forward to this question in our campaign wrap-up. Hey, we did a session zero for alignment. Did that pay off? I'm looking forward to the answer to that question, but it's not the only way to fly, and it shouldn't be um, considered, I would say, for new players. Really encourage new players to get in and play, not create characters. Our opinion. All right. That's uh, ending on a bit of a hot take there for new players, but that's RPG Lessons Learned for this week. We had a great time. We had a great time with our first session zero. It's appropriate for our level of RPG maturity, and I really look forward to seeing how this campaign goes. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them Lessons Learned, and we're sharing ours with you.